hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I'm joined this week, a man down, but Adam Dyson is here. How you doing, man? Good, man. Um, I'm up. It's early. Uh, it's about five past six in the morning. I've got my decaf coffee and I'm ready to talk Star Wars. Especially a book that yes. I haven't read before. Good, good. I, this is my favorite book. I have read it entirely, probably too many times. Well, no, there's no such thing as too many times for Star Wars. But I'm really excited to get into it with you. Patrick, unfortunately, is not joining us today. Um, he was a little under the weather, but we wish him all the best in the Force and hope that his midichlorian count rises as soon as possible. So um, we do host this show live in Discord every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and the audio podcast version is released on Tuesdays for incredible patrons. If you have not found us on one of those platforms, head on over to utini.com forward slash discords, jump in our daily community happenings. And for all of our exclusive content, head on over to patreon.com forward slash utini. It looks like we've got Amy and Brea and Meg and Sam and Scott all in the chat. It's good to see you guys. Very excited to talk about Bloodline with y'all. Thanks for joining us. I did want to go over some updates though. Adam, do you have anything in terms of Discord, anything going on this week we need to be aware of? Yeah, we've got one major update. We did create a Project Stardust channel in our Utenity, Utenity community category, so that's really cool. Um, and, I'm, and I'm hoping it's a place that Project Stardust fandom can go and, and thrive. And we also had a big influx of members from Project Stardust, which has been absolutely wonderful and hope to see them um, active and just show that this is a positive place to come and, and be a Star Wars fan. You know, we had the the major rush last week, and it was cool to still get yeah. a little bit um, of their crew trickling in over this past week. And Meg, obviously the fearless leader of Project Stardust, super excited to see all that y'all are going to do. And I've already seen some articles getting shared you yeah. know, over there. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I think this would be a great gateway to be introduced into everything that they're doing and the spotlight that they're putting on women in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited for that. And, and as the boy said, it's it's easy for us. We're just a couple of white dudes, but um, I have a little girl and one day I hope to instill my Star Wars fandom into her and Project Stardust will ensure that the fandom is a safe place for her to enjoy what she may love in the future. And, I mean, that's just being a good dad right there, making sure Star Wars lives long. <laughs> Number one on cool. the list. <laughs> yes. On the Patreon side of things, we um, unleashed, unveiled our brand new tier structure um, this last Monday, or sorry, this last Tuesday night, September 1st. So head on over to Patreon and check all of those out. We've made it a little bit easier. Honestly, the biggest bang for your buck is our $5 tier, where you can get all of our exclusive shows, but... Beyond that, we're offering 20 and 25% merch discounts. You can get behind the scenes stuff from the rest of the Utini team and access to watch parties. 
our $10 Inquisitorious tier, is actually hosting a watch party next Saturday, September 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be watching a couple episodes of The Mandalorian, unless Corey, a.k.a. The Senate, decides to throw a wrench in that and watch something else at his choosing. <laughs> the current plan is to watch Mandalorian, so uh, make sure you head on over there if you're not on Discord yet or at our $10 tier. Um, you can bump it up and check that out. And I think the, the biggest news the people want to know, Adam, you know, if I'm if I'm being honest, I think they want to know what we're reading in October. I want to know. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to be reading based on the patrons vote in a landslide victory. We're going to be reading Dark Disciple by Christy Golden. Adam, have you read Dark Disciple yet? I have read that one, but it has been a while, so I loved it. It is such a has a, a high rating with Utini as well. So I know Charles will be very happy that Dark yes. Disciple has <laughs> popped up again. Um but I'm not surprised that, that one won. Yeah. Yeah, it took out to the lead pretty quickly and it just stayed. Um by more than five votes, it just demolished yeah. everything else. Which I mean, I'm also gonna gonna humble brag a little bit because, you know, this was my <laughs> my pick. So I'm now I'm now two months in a row of, of yep. the you, people like what I have to say. <laughs> you went the safe pick. Yeah, no one picked I Jedi. That's fair. I, there's fear. There's fear in the community. Pick it. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Well, I'm super excited for that. But we're not here to talk about Dark Disciple today because that's going to happen next month. What we are here to talk about is Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Just some quick details about the book before we get in. Uh, so this was originally published May 3rd of 2016. So this would have been, you know, just a handful of months after uh, The Force Awakens came out. So, you know, we get to see Hosni and Prime blown up in the film. And then it's like, wait, what happened there? And this was the start of that. The author is Claudia Gray, who is an absolute legend in uh, Star Wars history authorship now. Um, she is responsible for the incredible hits Lost Stars, which was her very first Star Wars book. She did this, which was her second book. And then she also wrote Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and Master and Apprentice, which are all really high rated. I mean, Lost Stars is in our foundational five. Bloodline, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Bloodline is actually number five on our official Utini reading order list. And Master and Apprentice is also up there. So have you read those yet, Adam? Yeah, I've read all of them and Lost Stars blow, just blew me away. Master and Apprentice was wonderful. Totally right. Claudia Gray is just the top of the, the mountain when it comes to canon i think she can she can do no no wrong um and i think especially with bloodline like we'll see her ability to write characters just so authentically i mean when she writes about you know people that we know and we've seen on screen i feel like i can i can read it in their voice um so she stays really true to that absolutely phenomenal author this takes place uh, 28 years after the battle of yavin and six years before the force awakens so for some reason in my head, I didn't think that it was as long before The Force Awakens as it actually is. Like, I thought this was kind of like right up against it. But there's a good, healthy little five, six year gap between this and Leia going off and founding the Resistance and them really picking up steam. So I thought that was really cool. But yeah, this book has a 9.1 out of 10 on our website, utini.com. And it also has... 
five out of five from our Utini members. So all of our community that has pitched in and rated it, it's got five reviews that were all five stars. So if you are listening to this and you haven't read it yet, do yourself a favor and pick it up and jump into the rest of this book club with us because it's so much fun. Adam, do you have anything you want to say before we get right into it? No, let's get started. All right. Awesome. So quick summary of the book. Spoilers are ahead, so make sure to turn it off if you don't want to listen. And you don't want to be spoiled because we'll get pretty heavy into it. There's not so much that we will cover, you know, in the main, like, you know, we'll touch on the saga films a little bit and things like that. But it's not going to be near as heavy as Revenge of the Sith where we're, you know, criticizing every little detail and getting into the Clone Wars and Rebels or things like that. This is pretty self-sufficient. So just a heads up nonetheless. So... This book opens up the New Republic memorializing Bail Organa and all that he stood for while taking it for granted at the same time every day. Uh, Leia thinks about quitting politics and running away to be with Han because the Senate's so frustrating. Yendor is a Twi'lek from Ryloth. He approaches the Senate with news of criminal cartels disrupting his part of the galaxy. Leia then teams up with Ransom Casterfo, begrudgingly because he's a centrist, to investigate everything that's going on. Ren Riven Dai is the leader of the most dangerous cartel causing havoc, and he arranges for Leia to be captured on Bastatha once they show up um, and reveals one of her secrets that is known to only a small handful of people. And then Ransom rescues her, and they begin planning how to proceed. And that's pretty much all the eight chapters. The end. You can turn off everything. We're done. We're going to go home. <laughs> back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, back to sleep. Uh, but I, one of the things I did love about the Revenge of the Sith um, novelization was talking about the dark and reading some of those sections. So I actually wanted to read the opening crawl of this just because I think it, it sets up the book pretty well and gives some good definitions of some of the people that we're working with. So I'll go ahead and do that. An entire generation has prospered during an era of peace. The New Republic, governed by the Galactic Senate, has held power for more than two decades. The wars that divided the galaxy are fading into legend. Yet conflict has begun to take shape within the Senate. In the absence of Mon Mothma, former leader of the Rebellion and first Chancellor of the New Republic, two unofficial but powerful factions have formed. The Populists, who believe individual planets should retain almost all authority, and the Centrists, who favor a stronger galactic government and a more powerful military. Only the greatest heroes of the war are still honored by all. A ceremony honoring the memory of Bail Organa has drawn the Senate together in rare harmony. It's a day of celebration, but even now, the divisions among the worlds of the galaxy are growing wider. There was a lot that happened in this first eight chapters. I thought it was really cool, you know, that we opened up just getting into it, that we opened up with Bail, our Lord and Savior, Bail Organa. I love that we got this. I think what's really cool, too, about reading Bloodline is kind of the order of events that we've read these books so far. Right. So we started off unofficially with Ahsoka and then we jumped to Revenge of the Sith, which had this natural kind of blending together of stories. You know, Ahsoka and Anakin's relationship was really cool. And then we get to see Anakin become Darth Vader. And now we get to Leia, who is having to wrestle with, hey, I remember the last time that I had to deal with someone that was my father. You know, I, I don't like him mm. to then open up with Bale and to just have read about him. I don't know. It's so cool. It's the force, right? It's it's, it's poetry. Yeah. One of the cool things I think this book did was it really showed me a lot of promise for what the expanded universe 
kind of could be and now that everything's been kind of canonized at this point. And it you can really pick up any book and feel like you belong. And um, I think that's been one of the things that's really cool here. So, yeah, we talk about Bale. We get this really cool opening ceremony, um, you know, honoring everything that he's done, everything that he's been a part of, the way that he fought against, you know, tyranny. And she thinks about how, you know, Bale is her father. It's the only father that she thinks about. She doesn't think about Darth Vader or Anakin. You know, she thinks about Bale. His courage and strength and leadership is inspiring to her. But Leia also remembers those moments of him like crawling around on the floor and playing blocks with her, which was like some of those things that we saw at the tail end of Ahsoka. You know, when she's going to see Bale, there's those little conversations, which was cool. Mm. I thought it was really neat that we got to experience Leia's, I don't know, response to Bale here. What did you think about that? Uh, Not a surprise at all that she would, you know... um think of Bale really only as her father. You're not going to sit there and think about, you know, Leia's one-on-one dealings with with Anakin and Vader from the torture on the Death Star to visual torture of seeing her planet blown up with him keeping a grip on her shoulder. Like, it's Bale just sounds like the perfect dad, nearly, doesn't he? And mm-hmm. naturally, that's what you're always going to be thinking about. Look at, look at yeah. Eric. Vale is not Eric's dad, but Eric just always thinks about Vale. <laughs> <laughs> this is fair. Um, his fantasy football team is even named after after him. A <laughs> um, little little plug for the Utini fantasy football league that's happening. But yeah, I thought I thought it was really cool. One of the things that kind of stood out to me is how long ago you know, Bale would have passed away, right? Like how long ago Alderaan would have been destroyed to now, you know, it's 26 years later um, and they're only just now kind of memorializing him. I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, And it, it's, it's funny because at the same time that they're memorializing him, the Senate is also just absolutely not doing anything that they you know, are preaching here, right? Yeah, exactly. Very, very different. There, there are two main things I think that I primarily want to talk about, and we'll hit on some of the smaller characters and some of the things that we've seen. But really, there's this book is really political, right? Um, very heavy into the politics, the centrists and the populists. And so the the first thing is that we're going to see a lot of the ideology from from those two perspectives show up, right? Um, and the other thing is we got this confrontation that's coming up with Ren Riven Dai, who is, you know, this cartel leader, and that'll bleed into something else. Yeah. But those are just the, the two kind of main things that, that I wanted to brace everybody on that we'll be talking about quite a bit. You know, with Endor having happened so long ago, I think it was really neat the way that Claudia gets into Leia's head here. Because most of the first of this book is from her perspective. We get into her thoughts. And so she's thinking about Bale, but she's also like, I am so over serving in this broken system that's not working. What did you get from her, from her vibes here and the way that she's, you know, disheartened at the way everything is going? I think she's just tired. She's just tired of it all and tired with dealing with the Senate as a whole, it's clearly not what she fought for, I think. So she spent most of her adult life fighting this war to be in the position that she is in now and, and to bring the galaxy into this free democracy. And it's just 
it's not what she thought it was going to be and I think that can be a little heartbreaking. So naturally, it's not what you think it is and you're going to want to leave and, and look after yourself and your son. Who is off somewhere with Luke, <laughs> um, <laughs> which we'll mention in a little bit. But yeah, the she, there's this section where she's she's talking with her assistant, Greer, and then Corey, who's been kind of helping out in the office. And you know, Corey is so young and so idealistic, and Leia used to be, um, and she still might think that she is. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't see her wanting to mend fences. You don't see her wanting to reach across the party aisle, so to speak, and try to, you know, make the extra effort to make things better. So everything that she even stood for, you know, her cynicism has gotten the best of her. Mm-hmm. I loved her sass. She is so sassy. <laughs> and that quick wit, Claudius does such a great job of capturing uh, the way that Carrie Fisher, you know, kind of carried Leia. Right. And I felt like, I don't know if anybody in here has read the princess diarist written by Carrie Fisher. It's also, I hear narrated by Carrie Fisher as well. She does such a great job of capturing her wit and humor, which I thought was, was great. So anything else you want to talk about there that happened in chapter one, it was pretty broad strokes. Yeah. What jumped out to me was Claudia Gray's ability to world build. Mm-hmm. especially with the intro at the start and heading into chapter one, it really grounded you and you knew exactly what you were about to jump into coming out of return of the Jedi, jumping into the sequel trilogy. This is what the, this is what the galaxy is is like right now. And even just through those first two sections, I, I can understand where I am in the, in the timeline. It was cool because we got, you know, Hosni and Prime were shown briefly. It flashed to see the faces of the people getting demolished by the Starkiller base, right? In The yeah. Force Awakens. But then we open up and, you know, she's talking about, you know, the way that the sky looks and how beautiful it is. And there's people of all these different races and all these species, you know, around. And it's such this this cool place. And yes, the the world building aspect of it is so good. And she even throws in um, a couple of new species. I noticed she brought up that the Ashaftans, I think, which are like small woolly creatures. Um, I actually Wikipedia it because I was like, I've never heard of these guys before. <laughs> um, They're like, they only show up in Bloodline. And I was like, look at that. She also talks about the Lonerans who were actually mentioned in Leia, Princess Valderon. And then she also gives a tag to the Jellicani Fogstone, which is what Bale is made of. And that's Jellican from Lost Stars. And so I was like, she's throwing all of these things together in her world building and things that she's built herself, yep. you know, just still contributing to that. She does a wonderful job of painting those pictures. So that's a, a great point. Chapter two opens up. Uh, she's basically having a FaceTime session with Han, who is off somewhere on the other side of the galaxy. And she's talking to him about how disheartened she is with politics, with service. Um, you know, she decides at the end of the last chapter, like she wants to quit. Like, it's just not worth it to her anymore. Um, and she's been doing it since she was 14 years old. And I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, that's very similar to the way that Padme was her mom, right? I mean, being thrown into it from such a young age um, and just that's all that you've ever lived for. And yeah, I can imagine being tired after you've done it for your entire life. 
but she talks about running away with Han and on some of his crazy adventures. Um, and I loved there's a, a brief line where she's like, I don't know, I just want to run off with some smuggler. And he like points to his chest and is kind of like me. <laughs> and I was like, I totally, I totally see him doing that in the films, right? Like yeah. I knew exactly what Claudia was trying to channel there. Um, and she just, she writes him so well. But to see her, you know, this was a really cool kind of letting her hair down, just trying to unwind. You don't get these kind of moments in the films, I think, where you're just seeing an everyday in the life kind of aspect. Uh, before we get into the adventure and everything, you know, she's just talking to her husband, just trying to catch up and figure out, you know, what's going on and figuring out her life and talking about things and playful banter. Did you catch anything from, you know, this conversation with Han? Yeah, you're right. Claudia writes... Han and Leia just so well. And you're, I pictured the point exactly the same. Exactly the same. I did have another point. I've just completely forgotten it. It is 6.26 in the morning. My bad. Yes. <laughs> but, you're good. But yeah, completely right. It's just, I love seeing Han now grow into really the man that we all thought he was going to be, especially at the start of the OT. And it was great to see that Leia was thinking the same thing, like looking to Luke as an example of that, where Han publicly shows that he doesn't want to do it but in his heart he does and he will always find a way to help even helping without anyone noticing which is what his preference is so it's great to see him now throw away the smuggling and and do all that and chewy you know he's on kashik with his family and it's like it's like a happy ending for these three characters well, apart from leia she wants to quit but for han and <laughs> for han and chewy it seems like a bit of a happy ending for them yeah, he's off. Han is off, you know, running, you know, races and racing some himself. If y'all haven't checked out the Han Solo limited series comic, um, I highly recommend that one. Uh, it is a really cool look into what Han kind of does for giggles on the side <laughs> um, while also maintaining his, you know, that Claudia mentions his shipping company that he runs where he's carrying Wrath Tars. Yeah, you know, it mentions that he kind of runs that on the side. But Han's Han really has taken on the mentor role, yeah. you know, for a lot of these kids, because like the particular the five sabers, which is the race that he's you know currently sitting at and maintaining that he's running is for juniors. And so he's really taken on the idea of, of supporting these kids and, and mentoring them. And she mentions that, you know, he did that a lot with Luke. Like he was a mentor to Luke. Um, we see him in the sequel trilogy being a mentor to Ray and wanting to impart some of that wisdom and knowledge that he's learned, that uh, kind of common sense, street smart kind of thing. There is a, a tinge of sadness because he wishes that he could share all those things with Ben right? Who's just kind of taken off and, and run away to be with Luke. But I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Like you mentioned that we finally get to see pieces of Han being the man that we all thought that he would be. Yeah. He just does it um, so thought, naturally. Yeah. It, it's like, he's always wanted to, he's just, he's not comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. Like if you grow up in a, you know, he grew, I mean, we've seen how he's grown up, um, you know, through solo and through most wanted that, you know, he didn't really have a family. And so when you grow up in an environment that doesn't show love or doesn't put love on display as much, you don't really know how to give it yourself and you don't know how to do it well. And so that's something that he's always wrestled with and is uncomfortable with. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And it's particularly heartbreaking as well, where Ben gets to a point where 
you know, as we see in The Force Awakens where he's he is able to kill his own father, but he doesn't really see him as his father at that point. And then you read passages like this where that's all Han wants and mm-hmm. his son is off running doing Jedi things with a master Jedi and it just it's kind of it's it's a little heartbreaking as well to read that and it's I remembered my point so I, now I can say it it's just so the for me this is a perfect example of the expanded universe where it doesn't just grab a secondary character or looks to stories outside the films because it's in a novel we actually have the ability to see these tender moments that might not be fast-paced enough to fit a Star Wars right. film so really really enjoyed it but yeah heartbreaking when you then think of the force awakens and what ben's able to do to han and then you know i read this and han just wants his little boy with him yeah one of the things you know like you mentioned that i i've really enjoyed about getting back into reading all of these is the character development i think really takes place here yeah you know sometimes i think that's one of the strongest criticisms of the films is that sometimes you don't get a lot of character development you know, you don't see the person move from point A to point B very well, or it's, if at all, you know, it's very quick and sudden. It's like, that's not earned. And it takes time to do that. And books like this definitely help encourage that. The next day they get to the Senate again, and Yendor, who is a blue Twi'lek uh, from Ryloth, formerly an X-Wing pilot who served in the war, claims that the Nikto's are trying to take over the leftover gap in power that the Huts used to fill. The New Republic made promises of peace, but it isn't happening. This dangerous cartel led by um, a red Nikto. I'm not even going to try to pronounce. I think it's Kajansa Nikto is the way that's described in the book. I looked it up. It's it's the red Nikto. There's three. There's the red Nikto. There's the green, which is like Niku from Resistance. And then there's one, I guess it's a little bit more blue gray and they have uh, fins on the side of their faces rather than the horns and the spikes. So, okay. fun fact, I, I I really dove into my Star Wars-ness uh, <laughs> over the last couple of days. I was like, what is this word? I want to know the differences. And there's a whole, it's a whole thing. So, yeah, so Rin Rivendai is a Nikto. Um, they used to serve underneath the huts. Um, they were kind of like the muscle, I guess. And so he is on Bastatha, um, and he's threatening stability in the sector. And there's this whole thing about like, you know, this person comes, you know, Yendor shows up to try to plead his case to the Senate. And they are so chaotic Mm. that there's already like, how can we even trust that this guy is telling us the truth? Like he's just trying to start something. And I'm like, this sounds so familiar (laughs) because this is just everyday life that we're living in now. Um, And it, it was heartbreaking to see. And Leia's obviously like, what is going on? And even in her cynicism, you know, she recognizes this is a legitimate plea for help. You know, like this guy is, is weak. He can barely hold himself up. And he's making every effort possible to make change for himself and for those that he loves and for the galaxy at large. And the Senate's just so consumed with themselves that they don't want to do anything about it. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, definitely parallels to Mandalore, especially when Duchess Satine I just, you know, we read about the short story or read the short story in Stories of Light and Dark. Duster Shatine um, looks to the Jedi Order for help and the Jedi won't do it because the Senate will not support a neutral uh, system, thereby Obi-Wan has to go and sort it out all by himself and everything that happens there. It's just mm-hmm. the, the Republic making the same mistakes. And it really didn't get to this point back in the, the Clone Wars era, however. It's just 
or they arguing they're just arguing <laughs> and you can yeah just an example of why leia wants to leave because you know she automatically is i want to help this individual and i want to help his people but everyone else is too busy worrying about who gets to speak first and who gets to speak the loudest and, uh. it, it made me think you know we're about to get these new stories in 2021 with the high republic Right where the Jedi were all over the galaxy, and they kind of acted in the way that Yendor is is hoping that they would be now. Yeah. Right, that just general human, you know, general people would would just do. And I, I don't know. It, it made me, it made me look forward to reading the High Republic more in a weird way because it's like, oh, this is what like time of peace was supposed to look like. And yeah. granted, it's all going to fall apart as we get into it. But like I don't know, I would love. I just I want to spend some time in some peace. <laughs> it's it's gonna uh, be like we're gonna get political stability. You, this amazing Jedi Order. It's just gonna be this nice peaceful era for reading. Not you know with all the events that will no doubt happen in the stories, but we don't we won't have to deal with this this constant yeah. political mess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, I guess we can talk a little bit now about, you know, the, the two main parties, right? So you have the populists and you have the centrists. Um, and we meet a couple of the centrists briefly, some of the populists as well. I didn't write too much about them because I don't think, I mean, because really Leia is the viewpoint of the populists, I think, that Claudia wants us to see. But we do get to meet Lady Carice Sindian from Arcanus. She is very full of herself, <laughs> very much about titles, very much about wanting people to recognize that she is a celebrity and something to be favored. She's younger. She's about Ransom Casterfo's age, who we're also going to meet and is going to be one of the main characters in this book. Very young, very uh, strong showing right? Like he doesn't kind of want people to see those flaws. He works really hard to make sure those are covered. And again, knowing this is from Leia's perspective, you know, the centrists are painted as, as the bad guys here, right? Yeah. And we're going to get into that once, you know, Leia decides, hey, I'm going to support this person. Ransom says, well, we or you know, Lady Crease is like, we shouldn't just let a populist do it. Someone else needs to go. And so Ransom's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll go with her. And he's very smooth talking. He's got the whole, he knows how to play the game, mm. right? So he shows up and decides, yeah, I'm going to do that. Leia says, I'm going to go and surprise him in his office. And she gets a very rude awakening when she steps into his office, full of Imperial memorabilia. There's this mm. admiration from him. You know, she's like, this is just grotesque. It makes me sick. But the centrists in all of this are painted as the bad guys. When you hear him talk about what the centrists are supposed to stand for, do you think that they're bad guys? That's a hard question. Uh, personally, like I do sit towards Leia's side, and it's I think that the centrists, especially the ones that we've met, are clearly using their ideals of central government and government with their hands in every pie simply as an ability to be seen especially the lady and ransom especially when you we walk into his office and everything we know about him in the first few chapters it feels like it's going to be the same thing and what i loved about this even the first eight chapters is that he most he basically had his own little character arc within the first 
eight chapters of the book. Like it was, it was really crazy. You went from, oh, oh no, here we go. And then to, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a pleasant surprise. But you can definitely yeah. see how the centrists are being portrayed as the antagonists between the two parties. It's politics, so there's going to be negatives on both. We're just not seeing the other side just yet. I do want to ask, because when I read this, especially, you know, with the things that he has in his office mm. and the way that he has you know, helmets and flags, it no doubt makes me, you know, living in America, think about the American Civil War and the rebel flag and blatant racism. And oh. I'm, I'm wondering if... Do, do you think this book could have been written in 2020? Like, like, do you think she would have kind of put forward this person in ransom as this, you know, someone who idealizes this horrible way of, you know, to lay this horrible way of living do you, and then kind of makes him, there's some moments of, of clarity in him where he's like, not all that bad of a person. Yeah. Do you think that this could have, even though this was just four years ago, do you think it would have been harder for her? Do you think it it would have changed anything? Yeah, it, I feel like that was the story that she wanted to tell as a creator. Then you would hope mm -hmm. that it would it would perhaps get through, but it's, it's a really tough one, especially in this, especially in twenty twenty, because as soon as I read the the story and Leia, you could feel Leia, Leia's pain and her. And her past starting to well up, you just wanted her to slap him down and rip it off the wall yeah. and throw it in the trash where it belongs. And mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's hard to say what would happen in 2020 and 2019. And if the book was to come out a bit later, would would Lucasfilm have tried to change it in a way? Um, yeah, but it's just, it's hard because you don't want it to be censored. And yeah, I, I, I don't even know how to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, i'll tell you one thing that it that it really made me do the first time i read it and even more so now i think in light of of where we are you know culturally and everything else is i've always thought growing up stormtroopers were really cool yeah. <laughs> um you know that's just kind of like like been the nature you know the the things that are bad sometimes are are painted with the extra coolest of strokes and like i've got a little stormtrooper lego you know, that's just one of the things I've always wanted my entire life is just a little stormtrooper Lego, just to hang out with me everywhere I go kind of thing. <laughs> um, but, but it, it, but it honestly made me think, you know, like the stormtroopers were the bad guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of them may have had, you know, they've just been doing it to pay the bills and things like that. And they may have just, you know, been janitors or whatnot. But like at the end of the day, like they represent this very evil government that brutalized people. And it's the equivalent of, you know, especially in, in character and story, you know, it's the equivalent of having a, a Nazi flag hanging, you know, in your house. And yeah. like, that's not okay. No. You know? Yeah. Um, like that's, that's something that I've, I've personally wrestled with. I'm like, you know, maybe I should trade out my stormtrooper for a clone trooper because Rex was a good guy. <laughs> I know him. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, we, all, we all have our favorite parts growing up or as we grow older, like, look at me, you know, my favorite character is no secret except when he starts to turn to the dark side and he does what he does at the Jedi Temple, it breaks my heart. And I'm like, oh, just want a stray blaster to hit him before he does it. I'll take it. Just do it. Like it's, yeah. you have your favorites and then they do these horrible things or they support horrible 
governments and you just oh it can be really tough yeah but it uh seeing seeing leia's reaction to it was definitely heartbreaking and neither neither of them you know she more so is uh very upfront and very hard on her sleeve i mean breaks down and yeah wants to just rip his heart out and he reveals a little bit of himself but not a lot and so there are times where she tries to back down and and not have much conversation. But I think one of the things I really appreciated about this section is that there is conversation happening yeah. between the two of them because they've been forced to do this thing together. I mean, no one's making them do it. They both decided to go along with it. But the fact that there is a dialogue, I thought was so important and something that I greatly appreciated, you know, Claudia for doing here is that it it really makes you you look at yeah this one side does some things that are really good but they also do some things that are pretty bad and this other side that you think is evil had some good parts right like it's not all black and white as we like to think it is the the movies i think especially have to be a little bit more clear cut black and white but we do get some shades of gray here that I think are welcome to me. Do you, yeah. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. I think of characters like Ray Sloan, where she's not inherently evil. However, she believes that the Empire, the Empire's way of doing things is the right way. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, for order of the galaxy. And, you know, I've just, I finished Life Debt recently where it goes into her past a little bit. Yeah. And you can definitely see that. So there are Imperials who are not evil, but still believe what they're doing is right. But they are still, you know, it's still look incredibly bad where, you know, even Ray talks about the slavery of different species and which is just incredibly evil It's in itself. But she tries to make it sound like it's just something that needs to happen sometimes. So, mm-hmm. you know, really, really great characters in the EU. Like you said, definitely. Yeah. And getting to see, you know, Ransom come back, you know, the next day, you know, right before they leave and say, you know what? Like, I messed up. We both said some things we probably shouldn't have, but you had way more right to say the things that you did. But I apologize for my part in continuing that on. So, like, even being able to to recognize, yeah, he's this kind of celebrity figure that, Mm. you know, Leia hates, but she's like, I've been in this long enough to recognize a good apology and let's just move on from this. I I thought that was really neat. And in in chapter four, which, you know, we're in, we're, you know, we get to meet some smaller characters. We meet Joff Seastriker, who is an X-Wing pilot, who's going to help kind of chaperone the trip. We get a little bit more of Greer's backstory and, you know, having done some things with Han, um, we get Leia's ship, the Mirror Bright, which has had some personal modifications to it, um, which I thought was great um, that she and Han had, had put there for safety and protection and things like that. And then Leia sends a message to Luke and Ben because she hasn't heard from them in a while. And that that little, you know, this was obviously written before we got his story um, in the, the Rise of Kylo Ren comic and everything. But I, I've got to wonder, and I, I didn't pull up the timeline, so Trevor, don't hate me. But, you know, it, it did make me wonder, you know, if the temple had already burned down at this point, you know, if Ben had already, if the, this these things had already happened. And I, it kind of makes me think it had. I don't know. Did, did you have any thoughts there? It did. It made me very curious of the timeline. 
Um, if we say timeline, what, two more times Trevor should appear and answer our question? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but you're right. Like, where does this sit with the other events that really are the foundations for The Force Awakens and the, and the foundations for the sequel trilogy? Um, yeah. It helped me to see Leia again a little bit more vulnerable and revealing herself. You know, like, that's got to suck to just send your kid off to, you know, this camp. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and you never know when he's when he's going to come back. And, you know, depending on how Luke is, is training him as well, right? Like, you're not supposed to have attachments. So, like, is he even going to, you know, even if he were to have continued down the good path, right? Like, is he even still going to be you know, like loving son to mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, that's, but, but getting, getting to be in her head is so nice here. Yeah. Especially when we, look and, at, we look at Ben in, in the sequel trilogy where, you know, what would have happened if Han and Leia would, were able to be with him more often, what would have, how mm-hmm. would he, how would he have acted any differently? Yeah. So one of the things, you know, that, that, Ransom and Leia talk about quite a bit is obviously the difference in their their political ideologies, which we've already mentioned some. But I think one of the things that stood out to me was when we really get to see Ransom open up a bit more about himself. And he talks about how it's not so much, yeah, the Empire's bad and they did some horrible things, but what if the Emperor was a good person? You know, there there are some strengths in making things better. And also the rebels were terrorists, weren't they? What they did to the Death Star was unforgivable. You know, millions and millions of people. And we saw a little bit of that of that in Lost Stars too, right? With the way that people responded to it. The the normal, you know, a- average everyday, you know, being in the universe, how they responded to that, where they were of of, of that even people on on the death star who were there shortly before it blew up you know were like this was horrible or thank god they did that you know yeah. so coming out and and doing that and then leia unleashes with this love and passion for alderaan and it just really sweeps her up of like are you kidding me what about everything that it cost me what about what the empire did to me and my family literally everything that i knew is gone you know this was really her breaking point with him i don't know did anything stick out to you there yeah it really did feel like the breaking point with ransom but just probably in general for her she's probably she's because she's such a strong individual eventually you need you just sometimes need to be able to vent and i don't see leia venting about the events mm-hmm. of alderaan or the rebellion all that often especially to someone that isn't han but just another example of just the total grayness that the eu offers you where you know you watch the ot and you're right. You're like that battle station must go. Do whatever you need to do to get rid of it. After what we just saw to Alderaan, but you're not thinking of the smaller characters that are running around the battle station who probably don't know what's going on. You know, I think of maintenance workers, catering staff, all these different smaller jobs who have no idea probably where they are in the galaxy. They're just doing their job and go home to their families. It just it's really sometimes hard to grapple both sides. And Bloodline yeah. has done that now, what, two or three times in the first seven chapters? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like Claudia Gray is grappling with it as well, and she wants us to grapple with it at the same time. And yeah. Yeah. I want to shout out Scott 
um, in the chat, you know, he says, you know, this book does a great job of reminding us that she is permanently scarred by seeing her planet destroyed. Yeah. And I think you, I think you see that, you know, when, when she sees Ad- Admiral Akbar, you know, right after Bale's memorializing, you know, statue thing, she's like, oh, someone from the old days, like, he'll get it. Like, I need to talk to him. Yeah. It's, you know, she talks about how all the people that are in the Senate now are so young. They weren't there when Endor happened or they were kids and don't really understand. And that's one of the criticisms she lays at Ransom's feet. And it's like she doesn't have anyone to talk to about what's going on anymore. Yeah. It's it's. Um, part- Part of that is her own pain of maybe not wanting to talk about it, but she's also trying, it seems yeah. like, right? Yeah, it's weird. especially in that scene with Akbar at the start of the of the story, I don't see it as well, I do see it a little bit as the old days and being in the rebellion and the camaraderie of war, but I think she also in herself is looking for those who have suffered with her. Um, we look at Akbar mm-hmm. and Moncala and the loss of Moncala's king and the and the bombardments that that planet suffered in retaliation for you know the rebellion and everything else that that came with. It's it's she feels close to those who suffered with her, I think, which is natural. Yeah, and you know talking that out. I mean that's something that. I don't know. I've I've wrestled with you know personally. Like when any time that we get into a you know, a place where we're depressing emotions and, you know, trying, trying to skirt by, like we try to find people who will just sit and listen and hear us out. Right. Or, and, and it's better if you can find someone that's experienced something very similar to you, you know, you can talk about the things that you've gone through together um, and find some camaraderie there. And it is hard that she doesn't, she doesn't get that. I mean, no, very few people in the galaxy have Mm. lost their entire planet yeah, so, you know, she's on very hollowed ground there. And it's really tough too because, you know, we have the ability ourselves as to look into these group counseling and all these different avenues to help to help us. But when you're the leader of the two a leader of one of the two main political factions in a galaxy and you have to always remain stoic and steadfast in public, it must be hard for her to find time to be vulnerable, I think, as well. And especially with mm-hmm. Han being away and, and mentoring and sponsoring races, like it must be hard for her just to cut 24-7 the same thing. Yeah. There was one thing, you know, when they get to Bestatha, it's a pretty much uninhabitable planet, right? It's mm-hmm. underground. They walk into this this basically casino, right? <laughs> this this gambling area. Leia plays Sabak. She notices this older woman who is like not really drinking, not really playing games. It's kind of weird. She's with this group of people. But she talks about how she has this weird intuition, this instinct about her, and that instinct has always played her well. But she talks about how Luke mentioned that it's really more of like proof of the force in her and in the family line. Right. And she's like, not that I'm going to discredit that, but also like it's my instinct and intuition and my growing up in politics and stuff. And I do have to ask this question here because it's something that, that really stuck out this last time that I've read it and have been listening to it. Do you think that she never leaned on the force quite as much as Luke did because of her privileged position in life? 
like where she did have political training, where she did have, you know, all of these things. It's like she was never found wanting for anything else. Whereas Luke, you know, grew up on, you know, a desert planet as you know, a farmhand and was trying to do everything possible to escape. And then he finds this religion, this force, this being a Jedi and immediately takes off after it because it's it's belonging. It's it's someone who, you know, people who want him for who he is. I don't know. Did you catch that at all? Or uh, could you see that? It's probably not something that I was thinking about. But now that you have brought it up, I don't think I can stop thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You know, Luke really didn't have all that much on a moisture farm in the middle of a desert planet. How And, and Leia had, you know, a loving family. She never really wanted for anything. I, I, st I still lean towards the Force nudging her in, in different directions and yeah. perhaps helping her out and helping her grow as a person. However, I don't think it was as such a strong influence on her um, as, it, as it really was with Luke, especially when Luke got off Tatooine. But yeah, great point. Not something I thought about. And it's not, you know, it, she she's very clearly still believes in it, I think, right? Like she yeah. still very much ascribes to, to this is a very real thing. It's just not something that I've I've needed as much. It's still valuable and important, and you know she has this connection to it. But she she wants to turn it off. She doesn't necessarily want. I don't I don't know what it is. It's just I don't know. There's something. It's going to keep me up at night for yeah, this whole I think next it's, week. <laughs> I think it's maybe a way we can also grapple with you know, the link between Bloodline and the Rise of Skywalker, where we get the scene of Leia training and she has the lightsaber and. You know, people, you know, we had read Bloodline previous to that where, you know, we read her thoughts about the Force where we, you know, it's there, but she doesn't really require it to do what she needs to do. Um, so, like, it's a good way of grappling perhaps with that scene in The Rise of Skywalker where it was easy for her to stop now. Um, like, she hadn't needed it for so long where once she started to have her premonitions, it was easy for her to mm -hmm. go, nope, here's my saber back into my, my, my life as it was. So I think that will help like a bit of a link between this story and the story that we got in the rise of Skywalker, perhaps. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes me think of, of Ahsoka, you know, she's been a part of this, this religion as it were, you know, her whole life. And then she's like, well, I can't be a Jedi now or it's going to kill me, but I still need to find a way to serve and find a way to do something. Yeah. And so I think, I think for Leia to be able to go, like I'm, I'm there. I understand. I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I believe which, which, what you believe in. I can, I can pick up what you're putting down, but I also have my own way. I can do it, yeah. and I don't have to ascribe to every specific detail like, yeah. like Luke does. And like, um, you know, and I, I thought that was cool to see. And now we can add where you know I tried it. The force told me that I should stop. I'm stopping, and yeah, now I'm here in the timeline. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. So. Uh, you're welcome for you're going to be up at night thinking about that for the rest of the week. <laughs> and then we really in this section, the last two chapters, Leia finally meets with Rin Riven Dai. He is this Nikto who is this trying to be a criminal overlord, right? And he has this air of wanting to be cultured. You know, he wants to be all that. He wants to be respected. Um, so he brings out this fine wine from Alderaan to try to impress her. And he has this video 
of her killing Jabba the Hutt and Nick Toes having been consistently oppressed and, and basically been made to work for the Hutts have this great admiration for her. You know, even though politically she probably stands against everything that he is for, you know, he's like Hutzlayer. Yes. Like I appreciate you for the warrior that you are. And he uses to try to bribe her. You know, he's like, you're not as hard lined and as idealistic as you think you are because you married a smuggler because you took some liberties of your own. You know, you like to use your hands to get things done as very clearly evidenced. Are you strangling Jabba to death? So what did you think of this whole set up this meeting i thought it was wonderful i yeah, really enjoyed this chapter personally and you're right two completely different sides of the coin politically and i and their values are completely different however he just has this profound respect for her and what she did for his people and it was really it was really it was a really cool dynamic and it also pointed out where like these of her killing of jabba and other major events especially of the original trilogy or any of the films these events aren't really known by the wider galaxy so they're such important parts of the narrative however in in universe it's not something that she probably wants out there right you know we we've all seen it billions of people have seen it in real life but in universe it's it's these events aren't known and it just really jumped out at me yeah again this is something that the expanded universe does so well talking about you know from a certain point of view (laughs) this is a good thing this is a bad thing yeah and this i mean this book is all about perspective and yeah, to see that from from Rin Riven Die, I think is really cool. Um, Scott did did ask a question. Do you think Rin Riven Die is distantly related to Master Imogen Die, or Die just a common family name for Nictos? I'm not sure if it's the equivalent of Smith um, and Jones. I I want to know that. But um, it where is, is Star that Wars. Story? It is Star Wars. But probably related. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. But yeah, I, I I loved this whole scene and the fact that she was preparing um, to have this this confrontation, right? To have this sit down meeting. You know, she was invited to to go to this thing with business leaders on the planet, and you know, she's got a tracker on her the whole time. And little did we know that Ransom also planted a tracker on her, which like still the distrust, even though they've you know allegedly patched some things up, right? Like the distrust between the two of them is so thick. Yeah. You know, they are so cold to each other. And he criticizes her for that, too, of like, you're you're upset at me that I put a tracker on you. But you also intentionally, you know, was deceptive of me to go and have this secret meeting that I'm not even going to be a part of. But I'm here with you to do the Senate business and like and just threw it in her face. And she was like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're you're absolutely right. But this is, you know, chapter eight kind of ends. We get to see Ransom kind of turn a bit right some moments of 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 clarity some some goodness from him like he was legitimately concerned for her you know he doesn't necessarily think super ill of her you know he's she's a respected senator she's done great things and he recognizes that she's a great shot and she's like and you're a great pilot (laughs) and like she thinks that he is in order to make an effort, right, she decides to show him the Jabba video. And he's like, I completely stand with you. Like, of course you would do that. I don't know why you would think I, I wouldn't think you would do that. 
and this is where, you know, he talks about and, and gets her to open up while she's in a good, good mental headspace, right? To say, yeah, centralized power and, you know, maximized efficiency and the togetherness that a, that, you know, the empire could have brought, that a centralized government could bring. There is a unity in that that could work. And then, but Leia, Leia thinks it leads to tyranny. And then Ransom's like, yeah, but what we're doing right now is absence and neglect. And that's not any better. And I thought that was a, a really cool conversation among the two of them because it was the first, I think, moment where they could both level-headedly kind of explain the the good and the bad parts of where they each stand. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, definitely. And at the end of the day, after the end of these eight chapters, I think it's Ransom that has me kind of hooked at the moment. I want to see how his story unfolds. And just because there's such a change already within eight chapters, uh, like actually I want to follow Leia throughout the story, but I'm just really, really curious to see where Ransom will go from here. Yeah, he's a very interesting character overall. And to, to get to see that there is a, a bit more to him possibly, I think is is cool. So we end the the section on Leia discovering that, you know, there are massive amounts of funds that are being funneled through and Riven die. Like he's being used. Basically someone is giving him all of these funds. Cause there's no way he could have grown to be that big, that fast. And she has this in this intuition that that old woman and the group from Daxum four that were just kind of minding their own business, you know, may be responsible for it. That's where we end. You know, we're going to get into chapters nine through 16 next week. But anything towards the end of this, what, where, where do you think we're going? Having never read this before, you haven't read any further, have you? No, no, I, I do stop because I always read something else at the same time. Okay. So where, since since I've read this and know this like the back of my hand, where, where do you think we're heading here? I really, I really don't know. And that's what, I'm, <laughs> I, that's what I'm really enjoying about Bloodline so far is I think I have a few different ideas, but they could go like anyway, like I look at Ransom and... You know, I look at what his office was decorated with, and yet here we are, and he has put his life on the line to to save really his political opponent. It's just, it's really tough to, to try and decide where it's going to go. I'm so giddy. This is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, this is fun. I was just looking on the chat, and Bria made a good point. If she was he and, the, and was watching the video of his political opponent choke out a major crime lord with a chain. Oh, yeah. It, as she put it, tread lightly, dude. Yeah. Yeah, she ain't playing around. Like, and he, that was one of the things, I can't remember if it was him or if it was Renew and Die that said that of like, the the strength i i wouldn't think that you would have had that in you and in the back of my head i'm going she's probably leaning a little bit into the dark side there <laughs> you know using some of those force abilities to to get that thing done um yeah. now, now knowing that she was so strong in the force and everything but yeah uh, yeah dude watch it, out <laughs> it's one of those things where again it's it's gray like you're probably leaning into the dark side there but do i have a problem with what happened no so, yeah, it's like, it's very gray. And Claudia Gray wrote this. <laughs> word, of, word of the day. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think, kind of looking back on this section, you know, what, do you have a favorite moment or, you know, character that you're most interested in at this point? I think my favorite moment of the first eight chapters was Ren Riven Die and Leia's conversation. 
Um, the Hut Slayer stuff was really interesting, uh, especially when you start to realize that the major events of the film tri- of the films trilogies aren't really known in universe. In terms of character, like I said before, I think so far Ransom, I'm really, uh, really um, curious to see where he goes from here. Like I want him to go back to his office and realize, take all that, take all those posters down and throw them in the trash, and that's what I want. But I probably won't get that. <laughs> I will say nothing one way or another. <laughs> my my favorite moments. You know, going back, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the head of, of when I first read it and try to separate that from now and yeah. kind of together. But, you know, I, I, I still think my favorite moments, as as I mentioned earlier, is we don't really see the the day to day lives of our main characters very mm-hmm. often. And so, you know, getting to see getting to see Leia just chilling on the couch and, you know, taking the braid out of her hair is <laughs> as, as like as weird as that may be like for, you know, for some, an almost 30 year old dude to be like, that's one of my favorite parts. But like, I don't know, getting, getting to see that casualness, that everyday life of someone who we admire very much, getting to see all of those moments, her talking with Han, you know, reminiscing about Ben, yeah. especially when they were little, like there's a conversation where, where she's like, you know, he's like, I, I Han is like, I could have never have imagined that this would be my life kind of a thing. And she's like, and now you're a dad and like, like kudos to you and you're going to be a granddad soon. And he's like, uh, uh-uh, I'm never getting old. <laughs> I don't know. Just those, those, those really cool, playful, intimate, no stakes on the line kind of things. I, I really enjoy getting those aspects of characters in these books. It, it really adds so much to everything else because I think it helps to say, like I am fighting for somebody and something and these moments of peace, like I have to fight this war to get more of this. And that's a point that, that Leia makes often, you know, through these eight chapters of, you know, people are just forgetting what we fought for. Like the war was so long ago, but to get those moments of this is what it exists for is to get to that. I don't know. I think that's really cool. So I think those are my favorite. Those have been my favorite moments so far. Awesome. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to add? You good? I'm good. I'm ready to cool. start chapter nine now. Yes, that is what I'm going to go do directly after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end it. Thanks to everyone in the chat for hanging out with us. Um, Amy and Brea and Meg and Scott, we really appreciate you guys um, chatting along and just being a presence. And we'll be back next week to talk through Bloodline chapters 9 through 16. In the meantime, please keep the conversation going in our Discord community. You can find me, Timothy. Um, I am on Twitter and Discord. I changed my username, so sorry about that for everybody that's going to get thrown off. Um, I am at T2 underscores Guthrie. Um, Adam is at DarkStarAU. And Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. Dude, if you're listening, I hope you get to feeling better. Um, we want to get you back here next week. And if you guys want to jump into the book club and help support the show, look up Bloodline on UT.com. Click the Amazon link on the profile and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. I'm going to put a link up for Bloodline as well as October's book, Dark Disciple, in the show notes in your podcast player. 
And if you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash Etini or pick up some sweet new merch at Etini.com forward slash merch. I'm going to plug that new Thrawn shirt that Joxie made because it is incredible. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson um, and Kyle Hickman on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier and Cheryl Bell, Alex Householder and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And last, but certainly not least, thank you, Adam, for podcasting with me today. Um, It's been a blast. May the force be with you, everyone.